I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably be lost for words. to another edition of the Lost Words DraftKings podcast. I'm joined as ever by Matt Vincenzi. Matt, hello. Hey Tom, how's it going? Yeah, good. I think it was um, a mixed bag, let's say, at Honda. Um, you know, I, I planted my flag with, with Keith Mitchell and uh, I was pretty happy with him. And, you know, I think I think a lot of the things we, we had in mind last week were the right approach, maybe just didn't quite come off. And sometimes, especially at somewhere like PJ National, uh, you just kind of have to expect that. Yeah, I was expecting a bit of a tough week with at the Honda Classic. Like it usually is how it goes. I played a lot of Tommy, and he had a great Thursday, and then Friday he ejected. And you had guys just had bad rounds and get and completely take themselves out of the tournament. And then your lineups are pretty much toast. Um, I had some mostly five out of sixes, which I thought was pretty good, but no one um, enough to cash. You know, I didn't have Lowry, didn't have Straka, didn't have Berger. So that kind of did me in, but. You know, it's to be expected there. Yeah, I think we were kind of having an argument, weren't we, about Berger and, and the health and, and suggested that maybe it'd be a quite a good play if, if, you know, if the injury news does come out. And it sort of did, but I guess the ownership kind of went out to a point where once that news broke where he didn't want to be on. Um, I wasn't really in on Shane Lowry. I, I kind of always just see him as a solid guy that doesn't quite live up to the... I say live up to the hype. He he does. Obviously, he's one of WGC and a major, right? So you can't you can't say that. Um, but in terms of just regular events, it, it feels like he sort of bubbles under as opposed to actually going out and contending and winning on a Sunday. Yeah, I agree. But thinking back on it, I think I bet him last year at the Honda Classic. And then thinking about you know all the reasons why I liked him last year, probably would have applied this year. But he was kind of out of sight, out of mind for a while. And I've been pretty much avoiding those guys who are just playing for the first time. So maybe that's a, a mistake. And, you know, going forward, it can be something that can be evaluated in the process where a lot of these guys coming over, who you know, from Europe can play all right on their first start. And it, we can't have the uh, out of sight, out of mind approach. I think that's probably something we will touch upon with a guy in a 9K range. Um, you know, you've probably alluded to that just there. So it's a good uh, segue into looking at these salaries. And uh, John Rahm, again, um, I don't think we've ever done uh, a DFS podcast where he's been in the field where he hasn't been a top salary guy yet. So... Um, he's 11-4, Rory McIlroy is 11-1, Victor Hovland 10-8, Scotty Scheffler 10-6, Hideki Matsuyama 10-3. Um, I think Rory is the best play, but I think that's not going to go unnoticed. So I'd, I'd probably be leaning towards playing either Scheffler or Hovland as, as my first guy in. Yeah, I think it's a, a good idea. And um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy these shows you and I do. I love talking golf with you. And since then, I've kind of, since we started, I've kind of not even really looked at tinkering with lineups, nothing until we start. I like doing this first and then that gets me going in my process. So even if I was a listener, I think this, this, this is exactly how I would do it. So I, again, I just really, I've really enjoyed doing this just to say that before we kind of get into it. Yeah, I like that. I, th uh, I think it's good. I think it's one of those things where it's better to, because I think if you come into the show, with the with the lineups you've probably done and, and predeterminations, you, we the, the dialogue between us probably wouldn't be as open, right? Whereas I think that we can bounce off one another and okay, yes, we might talk ourselves into people like we did with Lee Westwood last week and things like that, which you know wasn't terrible for a lot of the event. Um, whereas if, if if you've kind of got your lineups, you're going to say right, these are the people I'm playing and that's it, and you know 
if, if you don't like it, we'll, we'll move on to the next one. It, it's, it's a better way of kind of approaching it, I think. Exactly. And to, and to uh, begin here, like you said, I agree Rory is going to be pretty uh, popular. And I'm shocked that Hovland isn't popular. And he's my favorite play of the week. Uh, I bet him outright at 18 to 1. I put a nice large wager on that. And I really liked him this week. I've been thinking about him at API for probably two or three weeks now. Looking forward to trying to get him here. I thought I was going to get a 14 or 16 to 1. I know this is a DraftKings show. But the fact that he is you know, going to be lower owned than Sungjae, Rory, um, Scheffler, all these guys, even Hideki. I mean, he's... I'm shocked at how uh, how low he's projecting at this point, and he's my favorite player on the board, so I'm happy to start my lineups with him. And I think it's relevant, right, to talk about the betting odds, you know, despite the fact that it's not, um, you know, a, a betting show, because he was actually 20 to 1 at one point before Bryson pulled out, and I was kind of torn between trying to play Bryson for the upside and hoping that he was kind of lying a little bit about his health, etc. And I also was tempted by Rory. So I thought, well, do you know what I'm going to do? That There's three guys there. I'll take Victor Hovland. There's there's little question mark about him. Uh, Rory, you could argue, is maybe a little bit on the short side because of his, you know, not inability to win at the moment, but kind of he's finding it tougher than usual. Um, Bryson had the injury scare, whereas there really isn't question marks for me over Hovland. I know people are going to look at the course form, right? I guess that's why that's keeping, um, you know, the ownership down a little bit. But... Again, it's he's been playing it for three years, which is the first thing. I don't even remember him playing this three times. So I think that's the fact that I can remember him playing last year, but not the two years before, kind of suggests to me that that maybe he wasn't ready to play, that he wasn't competing at that level when he was playing it two years ago. Certainly the, the year before, was he was probably you know getting his way on tour, but probably, again, isn't the level he was. And So I think the reference point from last year, he was third after 36 holes last year. And, okay, he blew up over the weekend, 77-78. But, you know, no one broke 70 uh, in round four. So although 78 looks bad, it's it's certainly not a disaster uh, as a learning curve. The 77 on the Saturday is obviously a bit of a concern. But, I mean, he's just a completely different player already from a year ago. Yeah, and you know what? I, I thought the exact same thing as you, and I kind of looked into it. And it's taken some guys three or four trips to get this place right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the case with him. And obviously his talent is just transferable anywhere. I like the fact that um, he is so hot in approach. It reminded me of last year where he went to Riviera and he gained, I think, four and a half strokes on approach. Then he went and almost one concession where he gained 8.7 strokes on approach, which is the highest of his career. This year, somewhat of a similar story. Last week he played, uh, not last week, his most recent start he played at Riviera, and he uh, gained 6.5 strokes on approach, and now he goes to Florida again, and I think he can kind of parlay that hot iron week into another hot iron week, and you know, that around the green game could be a concern, but for me, it's like, we're playing the ceiling here, and if he hits it, hits the greens and keeps the ball in play, then he's not going to have to worry about trying to get up and down all that much. And I think the thing that you touched upon there is that it does take guys a long time sometimes to, to figure this track out, or at least a couple of starts, right? And I think the thing with that is because people have seen Tyrrell Hatton finish fourth on his debut, they've seen Rory never finish worse uh, than 27th and was 11th on his debut, they've seen um, you know, Tommy Fleetwood come out and finish 10th on his debut. In their head, it's like, if you're going to be good here, you're good here straight away. I think people apply that logic. But then you look at Matt Fitzpatrick, everyone wants to go to the World 2, he missed his cut. 
uh, the first time playing here. Okay, he, he was he was young then, but even then, when he was more developed, he was 27th and 13th. Then he missed a cut before he started rattling off this run of top tens. Uh, Henrik Stenson was a guy that was really good here for a, for a stretch, you know, eighth, fifth, second, third, and he was 22nd, 52nd, 47th, 15th. I think there's an apprenticeship that you do serve at this golf course, um, unless you're in an elite. And again, the counter to that would be Keith Mitchell finishing sixth and fifth in his first two starts. But I do think that there's, I, I wouldn't want to rule someone out based on the fact they've played here three times. If anything, I would just take encouragement from the fact they've seen it. Yeah, I agree. And you, you talked about that apprenticeship. And I think him being in third after 36 holes last year is definitely paying heavy dues to that apprenticeship. And um, that's enough for me to trust his course history, even though he didn't have a great weekend. I think we've seen enough. He's played it enough times now. The level he's playing at is so high. I think uh, it's a really good spot for him. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I've spoken probably too much about hidden form over the past few weeks, right? And it, it didn't help me with Hudson Swafford last week. But um, in terms of like Billy Horschel and Joaquin Neiman, that, those came into play, right? And I just think that course form needs a lot of context. And I do think people have just gone 40th, 42nd, 49th uh, is, is really poor. Let's move on because Scotty Scheffler's got the 15th on his debut. Um, and, and I get that. Like, I, I actually really like Scotty Scheffler, but. If the ownership's going to be down on, on Victor Hovland, especially sub what Hideki Matsuyama's done here, um, you know, because in talking on Hideki before we move out of the 10K range, he's been extremely solid, right? He, he's six of, or seven seven cuts here. Um, he's got a sixth place finish. But other than that, I think he's kind of just, you know, trod water around his golf course, um, just playing it safe, not really exerting himself. And... And to me, we've said enough to suggest that actually this is not a course that we'd expect him to win at necessarily. Right. I, I agree with that. And to your point about that hidden form, I, you know, look, looking back on a couple of weeks ago, I kind of forgot you had said this, but the Neiman thing, I mean, it's very similar to the Hovland thing this week when you talked about yeah. Neiman at Riviera when he had great two rounds, then he kind of fell apart. But sometimes it's all you need to see is the fact that they can do it. They ha did have low rounds on this golf course. It, you know, they get that muscle memory and, uh, and they can kind of go back to it. So completely with you. I love, I love Vic. I like him better than Hideki. I like him better than Scheffler. Um, and then ownership discount. I like him better than, than Rory, even though Rory, you know, this is his spot. Yeah. I think, I think now if I was, if I was desperate to get on board with Rory before the masters, this would be the spot. Right. Um, but, yeah, I just I just don't feel the need to go there when when Vic's you know lower owned, lower priced uh, than than the other guys as well. So um, let's go into the nine k range. You mentioned Sung Jm there, and obviously um, he's he's got two third place finishes on his first two starts at his golf course. Do you think people are just going to galaxy brain themselves into the fact they're going to pick him because they think it's a smart thing to do after missing the car? Um, I think that's wise because it's a good bounce back spot. I actually really like Sanjay. I'm not saying I, I don't think that he will do that, but do you think a lot of people are highly owned on him because they want to be the guys that get him in a bounce back spot? Yeah, I do. I, I think that's pretty much exactly what's happening. They're saying, um, you know, no one's going to play him this week because everyone played him last week and he missed the cut and he kind of screwed everybody. Now he's going to be a good bounce back. And I do think people are thinking that way. It was one of my first thoughts, to be honest. And then yeah. looking at it, it's not really playing out that way. People are still very high on him. And for good reason, he could definitely play well here. I think um, I do like him. There's some other guys in the range I like a little better that I'll probably be playing over him. Um, first, first one being Matt Fitzpatrick, who is also very popular. Yeah, but I just tr trust him a lot more 
um, to pay off that price tag. 9,200 compared to 9,900 for Sungjae. Sungjae is more of a boomer bust play, but you know if you're taking a shot on Hovland uh, at the top or however you want to play it, I just think Fitz is a. I don't want to say a lock for a top 15, but he. He's playing great, and he loves this place, and I'll eat the ownership on someone like that because I feel like it's a, it's a pretty safe play. It gives you room to maneuver, right? I think I think when you certainly when you're comparing it to Sungjae, I think Sungjae's got more winning upside. I certainly think that, that Fitzpatrick is that guy that's going to get you the top 10 as opposed to really going in for the win. I, I, I wouldn't say he doesn't have winning upside because I absolutely think he does, and I don't think we should be treating him as a maiden. You know, I know he hasn't won on the PJ Tour, but... He's, he's won good events on the DP World Tour and strong events and good company. So um, you look at a guy like Tyrrell Hatton that's come over and won this, like he's of that similar ilk. Um, talking of Hatton, that was the, the point I was alluding to of guys that haven't played uh, in America yet. Uh, obviously making his debut here. He, he was he was good to start the, uh, the DP World Tour season. Sixth at the Abu Dhabi, uh, fourth at the Dividers at Classic. Had one really poor round in Abu Dhabi when the weather was uh, was tough. I don't know what to do with him. Like, I think people are going to be out on him slightly because there's these shiny new toys at the top and, you know, everyone wants to play Fitz and, and you know, Will Zalatoris is there as well and, and he's obviously got obvious claims. Do you just go and give Zalatoris knowing that he's got the winning upside at this golf course? The only the only slight worry I've got on that is the week that he won and, and the scoring yeah, that came with it. You know, was it four under par that he won with? Um, that would slightly concern me. But other than that, I think he's probably quite a smart play. He he certainly could be. I'm not playing either of them. Uh, Zalatoris is looking to be the most popular guy on the entire slate. Uh, he's going to be the highest owned. He 100 has that winning upside. I I agree with you. I think I could definitely see him winning here. The course fit is excellent. I just would rather go elsewhere at that when he's the highest price guy, highest owned guy on the board. I'd rather go elsewhere. And Hatton, you know, I'm not worried about it being his debut. But the last time we saw him on the PGA Tour, he wasn't very good. He wasn't playing very good. No. I know he's kind of he fixed it over in Europe, but um, and he, you're getting ownership discount off of Fitz. I get the appeal there, but for me, I'm playing Fitz at 92. Uh, he's safe to me, even though he's higher owned. I and I I think for him, right. It seems like on the PGA Tour, he's gotten some moments where it's gotten a little bit tight towards the end. If he's gotten in contention, he kind of loses it a little bit. And this is a place where, first of all, if you're one of those people who looks at your lineup on Thursday and then posts screenshots of how you're in first place, <laughs> don't do not do it this week because the leaderboard is going to change dramatically on Sunday. We've seen this three out of the four uh, past four years, um, and things just change quickly. They change quickly, and I think Fitz is the type of guy who might be able to get into the clubhouse and then let carnage ensue. Similar to what we saw with Molinari a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and, and you know, Paul Casey at the Valspar, he's one of those guys to where I think he can play steady, get himself to a good spot, get in the clubhouse and then see what happens. I think this would be an ideal spot for kind of his first win because of that dynamic. Yeah, I agree with that. I, th- I do think that his best assets kind of let him down in contention at times, which is a concern. But like you say, if he can... If he can do it where he isn't quite, you know, the front runner, you know, when he was creeping up at like the Masters and things like that, he wasn't in contention but was playing really well, and all of a sudden, Spieth kind of, uh, you know, comes out of the running, and and him and Willett are just firing up leaderboard. Like, 
I think that can sort of suit him. So I agree with that. I subscribe to that thought. Um, in terms of Hatton, actually, you sort of say he's fixed it over on the, on the DP World Tour and he has in terms of results. But um, in Dubai, he was poor over the weekend, 73-72, when he finished fourth. And, um, you know, just from an eye test point of view, he hasn't been as good. But I think, I think because of the unknown, because he hasn't played for a little while, because I'm not sure on that. I think he's actually going against my gut instinct I actually think he's quite a good play so it'd be interesting to see uh, what happens with Tyrrell Hatton who in terms of the pair of Australians out of Leishman and Scott are you, are you playing either of those guys yeah I like Scott the two guys I'm um, I'm looking at from the low nines uh, especially because I'm playing I'm going to be playing a lot of Victor uh, close to 11 I can't really dip into those high nines anyway and I I'm not really terribly interested in doing so so I my first Thing, they go to the low nines. The two guys I like the best overall in the nines, regardless of price, but they just happen to be the price I want, are Fitz, like I said, and Adam Scott at 9,000. I think yeah. his ball striking is is back, and we haven't seen him you know, really lights out with the approach game in a while. And um, last, not His last start at Genesis, we saw that. He gained six strokes on approach. He's putting it really well. Um, he seems to be a lot better off the tee because he was very up and down for a while. And I just like where his ball striking is at. I like where his head is at i feel like he's very um intent on having a solid year on the pga tour this year and he, he wants to kind of make one last run at some majors and the masters he's, he's really gearing up and I, I trust him this week yeah and i think he's another one that I, I kind of expected his course form to be better than it is but then when you dive into it so obviously when he was third in 2014 i think it was he opened with a 62 like course record uh, you know, led for the first three rounds, then shot a 76 in the final rounds, finished third. That's obviously disappointing, but it happens, especially on a tough golf course, right? The following year, finished 35th, but he was actually seventh after round one. And I think, you know, he shot 73 in round two. And you don't, you, unless you go right back and watch the clips and all that, and or watch, look at the historical weather reports, we don't quite know what end of the, the wave he might have been on or anything like that. Uh, the following year, again, second after round one, finished 12th. Uh, and even when he was 41st, right, he, he was solid all week, like not nothing special, but he's never really a guy that I think is going to eject on you. I know he, he missed that cut two years ago, but he kind of, you know, it, I, I do trust him. Like I think he is safer than like a Leishman. Like, I think Leishman has similar upside in terms of winning uh, from both of them, but I think that actually Scott is, is the more trustworthy. I completely agree. I um, and I, I, I'm going for somewhat safer plays this week because I think it's possible to do it. You know, you have more guys making the cut. Um, I think, and, and this is this is really a you know somewhat of a bold claim saying I think this guy's going to win, but I really like Hovland's chances of winning this week. And the fact that yeah. he's a bit under-owned and I really want to summer lunch with him, I feel all right going with Scott and Fitz, who are a little bit of the higher-owned guys. But a lot of those low nine guys are high. Like we said, with, with Willie Z and... Um, you know, Sanjay, those guys are high on too. So I, I feel like those are very safe, high four plays that you can pair with uh, more of a pivot in, in Victor. The 8K range is where I've lived uh, on my betting card, right? Uh, I So to people that haven't sort of read or seen my tips or anything yet, uh, Max Homer, Jason Kokrak, Paul Casey, uh, and Keith Mitchell all came from this range. Um, it's going to come down to popularity. But at 8,900, how popular is Billy Horschel going to be? No, I, I wrote down some pivots here in the 8Ks, and it looks like Billy Horschel and Sam Burns are the big pivots in this range. Yeah, see, I would I would trust Horschel because he has been solid here without actually really breaking through. Like, I think he's played nine times 
here and he's only missed the one cut last year um, which again I, I can kind of get over it it's once and and he's another guy that you know like we've said in the past he he does have some hidden form at this golf course like when he was 50th he was third after 36 holes uh, 17th after 54 uh, when he was 54th he was six after 36 holes uh, when he was 13th he had a really good weekend uh, you know he, he generally speaking has some decent you know mid to, to late 60 rounds here that um, I think are probably being overlooked slightly yeah I'm, I'm surprised everyone's jumping off him because he was incredibly popular last week and he didn't do what he should have done but he was great on approach his, his irons were the best that I remember them being in a long time and he just couldn't really make putts and that's frustrating of course but I'm, I'm still surprised that so many people are jumping off him now I mean he gained the most strokes on approach in three years yeah and I think Honda. and I think what it is is like before you could see why people weren't too keen right because there was statistically he wasn't standing out I said a couple of times I think mainly on the Phoenix show that you know, despite the fact he's not staying out from a from a strokes game point of view, I I do love his chances and he was getting it done regardless. And then like you say there, he has a he, he really flashed with his irons, comes to a golf course that he has shot decent rounds at before, and uh, everyone suddenly wants to abandon him. And I, I, I think it's mainly just down to to who everybody else wants to play. Everyone wants to play uh, you know, Leishman, everyone wants to play Sung J M, everyone wants to play Zalatoris and, and suddenly they're they kind of happens to go into the lower sort of seven K range rather than, than taking um, Horshaw at nearly 9,000. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little perplexed by this because I didn't, I wasn't going into this week wanting to play him, and I really still don't want to play him that much. But I mean, it's really dictating that that he's a good play this week. And do I go against my gut, like almost like you said um, with um, Hatton? Like, yeah, do you go against your gut and play what you think is not a great play just because it probably is a good play, just because everyone's thinking the same way and. Um, I'm, I'm going to make a decision on that. I wasn't going into this thinking I wanted to play him, but yeah, it might dictate that we should. He's actually someone... So I, I put Co-Crack up as, as one of my betting uh, players, and I do still like him, but I sort of went on uh, Andy Lack's show yesterday. I said, if Co-Crack misses a cut and Billy Horschel's contending, I'm going to feel so stupid because I've been so high on Billy Horschel for so long that, um, that that would kind of you know irk me a little bit. What do we do with Sam Burns? Like, is Sam Burns regressing back to the mean and, and what he was is he just having a bad spell i mean he opened with a 67 at tory and a 68 at phoenix so it wasn't you know it's, it's not like he's in disaster zone i mean he's, he's played three or two tough events um and you know it's been the turn of the year right like i said this on the show last night that because it's been the whole of 2022 it's not just been like a couple of events either side it's been steadily the whole year he's been pretty disappointing um, is it a good time to just buy on him and hope that he can bounce back? Because this is a course he has played well at. For somebody, it might be, but not for me. I've been, you know, I've been the anti-Burns guy all year long, and it's you know one of the, you know, one of the things that I think have done best at this year is pre- projecting this from before the season starting and saying he's due for a lot of regression, uh, and he's not the guy everybody thinks he is. He's a good golfer. He's not the guy everybody thinks he is. And with that being said. Now he's kind of, especially in the betting market, he's priced where I think he should be. Whereas yeah. before, he was priced, you know, with all these guys that he isn't. And so I think his his betting price in this field is fair. 
Um, and I'd actually like that better than playing him in DFS. I, I'm just still not a huge believer, and I won't be playing him, but more of a game theory thing, it makes some sense. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I think I'd rather bet him than, than put him in DFS, but not necessarily going to do either. Uh, I love Max Homer. I, I absolutely love everything about his chances. Uh, there's only probably one guy that I really like more um, in terms of a bet. I think I think he's really, really solid. I think his driver is great at the moment. Uh, certainly was at Phoenix. Uh, Genesis, I thought he put up a really good title defense considering... Uh, the people around him. I think when you look at the fact that he was tenth and ten under, like it's just the fact that Joaquin Neiman, Cameron Young, and eventually Colin Morikawa got away. I think most most weeks, if you got given ten under at the start of uh, Riviera, you'd be pretty happy. So I like it. I, th- I think the 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 only slight concern is that so far he's finished twenty fourth and tenth without actually breaking seventy here. But I think the upside of him, I, I think if, if those are his floor plays, because you know I think he can certainly break seventy at any time. Um, I think he's he's really solid. Yeah, I think you see you also see a crossover with some of the events that he's played well, Quail Hollow and Torrey Pines, and guys who have played those uh, those events, both those events really well. I think he's a good long iron player, which has been you know great for here in the past. Um, and he's just he's he's a very good player. And for me, it's the the tough part for me is trying to get him. You know, he's kind of pigeonholed in my mind to this guy who plays well on the West Coast. And the California kid and all that stuff, and yeah, when he comes to Florida, the Max Homa doesn't say, "Oh, I want to go, I want to go play Max Homa at Florida." But looking at it, yes, he he's played well in Florida too. He's had a couple top tens at Valspar. He's uh, he's has good course history here. Um, you know, Bermuda putting isn't his strong suit. I, he's he's looking to be a bit popular. I think a lot of people are seeing the same thing that uh, you know that you're seeing here, and. Uh, it, yeah, I, I, I do like to play. I don't know if I'm going to get there, but it makes total sense. Paul Casey's my favorite bet and player of the week, but I, I don't think he's going to be missed. I think that's going to be a pretty popular take. You know, Tease Green, he's been inside the top 10 uh, his last two starts. Uh, he's, he's just been incredibly solid to start the year. Back to Paul Casey that we know and love. Um, well, if you love him. Um, I, I think that there's everything that suggests that it's going to be a good week for him. His course form's great. Um, he's, he's doing... He's, playing well in the departments that you know he he uh, excels in if i can get my words out and uh 8300 is a good price i think yeah my my favorite play as well my favorite play as well we uh we align on this again and usually when we've had favorite plays in the range they've worked out pretty well so i he is 100 percent my favorite play in this range he is going to be popular but i'm i'm okay with it because the price is low enough to where it gives you plenty of other options on where you can uh differentiate and he is just perfect for this place, right? He has good course history. His, his uh, tee to green game, like you said, has been fantastic. He does exactly what you want him to do. And I spoke about this earlier with Fitzpatrick. I feel the same way with Casey, that if he gets in contention this week, he's the type of guy who can post a number, go in the clubhouse, yeah. and then hope for some carnage. Pretty much what he did at Valspar. And, um, you know, he's, his two wins, you know, he, he won in uh, Texas in 2009, but his two wins in the last um, decade have been in florida and i i think he likes it in florida i think he you know he feels comfortable there i think he likes the windy tougher tougher conditions i know he likes the fact he doesn't have to get to 1600 to win the event i don't think and everything that i want a golfer to do here he does well the long irons are there um the greens in regulation is a strong suit i bet him to win as well at 40 to 1 i love the play i'm gonna be playing a lot of paul casey and he's another one 
one of the high floor guys that I think you know you want to go with this week. Yep, I agree with all that indeed. Um, Keith Mitchell and, and Coker I've already spoken about my betting picks, so obviously I'll play them. Um, is there anyone that that you like here that you think others won't? I think Sergio is a nice pivot. No one's really playing him. Um, yeah. I think maybe people are starting to realize I play the same guys every week. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Sergio and uh, Scott. and the, Those are my guys. Those are my guys. I'm the biggest Sergio Garcia fan out there. I'm the leader of the fan club. So um, maybe that's just a bit of a bias for me. Uh, most, most weeks when I do play him, I say I say that I can see him winning. I can't really see him winning this week, to be honest, with Sergio. Um, I can see him winning next week. You know, that might be a spoiler, but... He's just been so consistent, Tita Green, and the fact that he's going very much overlooked this week um, is something that I like. You know, the, the approach wasn't great at, at Riviera, but off the tee, he's just so consistent. Um, I can see myself definitely playing him. He's looking like 3 to 4% owned, and, you know, Mitch, and Mitchell's going to be 18% owned, and Paul Casey's going to be 17% owned. So if you're looking for a guy to pivot off, you know, Sergio would probably be my guy. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I think I think you're you're definitely right. I think the winning upside isn't there, uh, which is strange for someone of Sergio's quality because I think that we like the fact that we can get these guys that, that that you have just basically listed a bunch of veterans that you're in on that everyone kind of wants to pass up because there's shiny new versions of them. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's, there's the Hovland is Sergio Garcia, right? You know, the ball striking is just elite, and you, you don't need to play Sergio anymore, so people don't. Um, folks spring is right around the corner and you know what that means the masters is coming it also means that it's time for a tidy up in your pants and our friends at manscaped have the best tools for some spring cleaning trust me your confidence will be blooming like the azaleas at augusta and like that beautiful course in georgia you're going to want to feel and look your best in time to sit down and watch the biggest event of the golfing calendar it's time to clear out that winter bush and join 4 million men who trust Manscaped. Use code LFW20 to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Manscaped are the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing Performance Package 4.0. Inside this ball care bundle, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your goodies. The Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer is a pube assassin that is waterproof and equipped with an LED light, so you bet it's a major key to the new shower routine as you sit down to watch the major championship. Subscribing to that theory then, let's, let's dip into the 7K range, and, and Justin Rose is staring us in the face uh, at 7700. I know you've played him um, in the past already. Um, I was close to betting him, and, and I certainly will be playing him in DFS. You know, I, I'm I'm going down a very scary road here that I'm trying to avoid. I'm ge- I'm being labeled as the Justin Rose guy, and that's <laughs> not who I, that's not who I want to be. I'm getting people on Twitter saying to me, uh, you know, you, you do a lot of good work. Just please stop betting Justin Rose. So, <laughs> um, so I think they're in my head now because I looked at him and I was a little leery of him and. You know, and it's not just the fact that I'm I'm now the Justin Rose guy. It's also he lost almost six strokes in approach at Pebble Beach, and yeah. that's a that's a course where he you expect him to go, and even if he doesn't play well, still finish in the top twenty. Like that's one of his spots. He was just horrendous tee to green, and uh, Farmers he was good, and it's just he's just so erratic. And you talk about. I'm talking about Casey as a guy who I can trust with a high floor, and Scott as a guy I can trust with a high floor. Rose, you do not know what you're going to get. 
I quite like that though. I quite like the. Uh, if there's two events that I could discount this year that I wouldn't worry about, it'd be Pebble Beach and Honda. And mm-hmm. the fact that I don't like the Pebble Beach rotation, I don't like the the different golf courses, I don't like the long rounds. Um, I know you would expect them to do well there, and you're absolutely right with that. And Honda is just so volatile that if, you know you just have a, a couple of bad holes and you're out of there. Like it's just it's just over. So for me, um, I am going to play him because. There's guys around here that are going to garner a lot of ownership that I just do not trust at all. Yeah, like Seabez, Connors are getting a little <laughs> bit up there. Um, don't trust them. Uh, I've had some takes on on Seabez this week, and I just don't think he's got winning upside. Like, I don't. Like, I, th- I think that ev- everything he's doing this year, and everyone keeps pointing to me to like, oh, you know, how can you discount what he's done so far this year? And, and this this swing, this part of the you know, before Christmas, after Christmas, were the perfect golf courses for him. This is probably his last real suited test before, um, you know, I think he'll just disappear over the summer and August. And, and so I, I just don't think he's going to be there. And, and someone said to me, like, you know, he's, he's been pretty successful. Like, he's, he's going to keep his card. And I said, yeah, that, that's great. And that's probably just... Not his peak. I think his peak is, is is a winner of golf tournaments, even at the PGA Tour level. But the way he has to get it done is so hard. Like he has to be perfect around and on the greens. And everyone will sort of say the sort of same thing about Fitzpatrick. But Fitzpatrick's a better iron player. Fitzpatrick's actually a better driver of the golf ball. Um, he lost two strokes in approach here last year, uh, Bez, when you know he's inside the top ten. But I just don't. I think there's the, the the finishes you're seeing where it's 14th, 15th, 17th, 20th, and they all look like they're trending really nicely uh, to to come into a course that he's loved uh, and being a peak week. I I think that's just his ceiling for now. I agree. With you. I mean, he's not a consistent ball striker. That's the issue. Yeah. And to win on the PGA Tour, you have to be. And like you look at last week, lost lost a bunch on approach. Uh, week before, lost a bunch off the tee. Uh, and it's just like he kind of goes back and forth. He's not consistent in from tee to green, and he does a lot of things that you know you'd like here. He can grind. He's you know probably a good win player. He can save. He's good around the green. All those things are great, but you just can't depend on him. And uh, if I I think his path to winning on tour is like pretty much how Garrick Higo won. You know, he go finishes around and then he takes an afternoon nap, and someone woke wake him up and tells him he won. Yeah. That that that's what I think, and I just it's just so hard to count on that, and it's. I'm completely out on him um, and looking at he's getting popular and there's some guys around him that really aren't popular and there's two of them who are extremely dangerous but you know you said you're, you're looking to embrace a little bit of danger this week but yeah Jason Day and Tommy Fleetwood at 7900 both <laughs> guys who well Jason Day has great course history Tommy has the Florida yeah. history but two guys who just are not being owned at all right now I don't know what to do with Jason Day I don't know everything I hear from him suggests that he thinks he can come back and, and play great golf again and, and really solid golf. And obviously we saw it at Torrey Pines. You I mean you played him, played very well. I know you had a you know a nice wager on him there and you know it didn't didn't quite pan out in the end. And uh, I'd rather play him than Fleetwood, I think. Yeah, Fleetwood just stinks. I, I think I think that the winning upside is there for Jason Day. If if Jason Day is in contention, I think he can get the job done. If Tommy Fleetwood gets himself in contention, I don't think he does. And that's not a 
he's not good enough to win on the PGA Tour. That's just Tommy Fleetwood's not winning anywhere at the moment. He's just not. He's just not doing it. And and everyone's going to take kind of um, positives from from what he's done earlier on in the year so far on the on the DP World Tour. But you know he was eighth at the Saudi where it was really really windy and that's right up his street and and not for a lot of the other guys. Uh, when he was twelfth at the Dubai Desert Classic, he shot a fine around seventy five. Uh, Abu Dhabi, he was just terrible after opening with a 68. Like, yeah, I just people wanted him to, to play well at Honda, miss the cut, and you know I, I never want to overreact to one missed cut, but that's not that's not what I'm overreacting to. I'm overreacting to his total body of work. So, if I had to choose one of the two, I would choose Day, but I'd actually just that is too much danger for me. I'd rather just go for Rose. Fair, yeah, that's very fair. Um, and the other guy here is Woodland. Played well last week. Yeah. He's- not as popular as I expect him to be. Not really popular at all. Uh, and because there's so many guys I think other people want to play. He fifth last week. Gained strokes ac- across the board. Putted it well. He did a lot of good stuff. Uh, my only concern here is every time he's played well, the next week he's been horrible. Yeah. And and for me, it depends what you want from Woodland. Because if you just want someone that you think can get through the cut uh, in this 7K range and could maybe post a top 20, then then fine, I can see that. I do not see anything else beyond that because his best finish is 20th here and he he's just not he's not flashing like, it's not like he's had a 66 or a 65 here or anything like that. He's just constantly, like his, I think his best round has been 68 uh, at this golf course, which is which is no slouch, like that's absolutely fine. But I think there's, a, there's every reason that he's not played here for the last five years and I think he's probably playing here because he has to for, for world ranking reasons. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think the 7K is just it's just a cesspool at the moment. Like, Chris Kirk is is fine. I would play Chris Kirk. I imagine the ownership is slightly uh, up on him. Everywhere else, I, there's just a lot of question marks. I'd probably go to, to recent winners with, with Hoagie and, and Stracker if, if, if I had to go here. Um, but my aim would actually be to try and sort of fill uh, above and below this because... Lucas Glover, uh, the lower part of 7-2. Keegan Bradley, 7-3. I think uh, some of the safer plays. And, and, and then when I get to 7-flat, I'm, I'm quite comfortable. But this this mid-7K range, I don't like it at all. Yeah, my favorite play down here is Bradley. I, I'm a, I like Keegan. I bet him at... I got 130-1 to one in him, which I thought was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, was great at Valspar last year. If it gets tough, he can, he can play well. He's just been really consistent the last couple of years in... Um, I like again high floor guy. I don't. I, I think his chances of making the cut are pretty good. Um, he, I mean, he's gained strokes tee to green in like 13 of his last 15 events. He just is very consistent, um, and the winning score is not going to get away from him too much. So I do like his upside and his floor actually. So I like him. He's somewhat popular. He's going to be 10, 11 percent, which is not what I want to see in the low sevens. But that's the guy I'm going to play. I think you would just talk yourself out of him for for no reason. Like I know ownership is is something to be considered, but I would rather be in him. I think Kirk would be my guy if, if it was someone from the mid range. Um, and Cameron Young's going to get some ownership, but I think he's probably going to get exhausted at some point, um, and I, I'd probably worry about him over the weekend. But um, I love Sebastian Munoz, and I don't think that's going to be uh, a surprise to anyone. I think anyone that's sort of reading the stats is going to think the same things. Um, you know, Tees Green has been inside the top five in the field in three of his last five starts. Um, no one's going to miss that. He was 
49th here last year, I think, after an opening round 68. So um, there's some positives. And I also think Troy Merritt's had some, some decent course form here as well and, and maybe isn't someone that many people are going to go to. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I had a, a guys I had starred prior to coming on here and uh, I, un, I unstarred Munoz right before we started because his ownership was getting a little uncomfortable for me. Yeah. And then and it's just a stat narrative. And you know what? I think – what about Andrew Putnam? That's a guy you've been on a lot, and he's $100 cheaper, and he has good course form, and he gained four strokes on approaches last start. He's been playing really well. And I think he – he didn't really burn people, but he didn't finish off great at Pebble, right? And I think people will remember that. Um, I, I was very, very high on him at, at the American Express. Yeah, I like it. I like Andrew Putnam. I don't think there's much to – to dislike about him um it just it just depends i mean i don't want to go away from munoz based on ownership i think if you know if you're going to swallow the the, the ownership of keegan bradley i'm certainly going to do the same uh with munoz but it's a really tough range i, I really don't like the 7k range at all this week no one guy i want to ask you about what about westy we were on him last week this is assuming yeah. he, he led the field tee to green last week last year here yeah it's Last year's Lee Westwood was very different to this, and mm-hmm. he and he, he he you know really gave it a good go. He, he, Bryson was never more than one stroke ahead of him uh, over the last fifteen holes, so he really you know clash of styles was, was excellent. Um, so you certainly can't take away. I think I think he's a decent player. I think he lit enough people down that you know that they might be put off, but I I don't know if he's just quite not got it together. Like his ball striking has been good in spurts. Um, and I keep trying to forgive him for things and keep going back, and he, he eventually lets me down. I, I think the more I look at Troy Merritt, you know, third, 56, 24th here, uh, I really like it, uh, which is not something I ever thought I'd be subscribing to um, any time, really, with Troy Merritt. I always thought that when he was playing well, he was kind of... Uh, people took that in and, and didn't overlook him, and, and now I think that... I mean, I haven't seen any Troy Merritt talk at all, so I can't imagine the ownership's high. I kind of like that. I mean, last time I was on Trey Merritt, I, I had a ticket on Neiman and Merritt when they both lost in the playoff to Cam Davis. That was a heartbreaker. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was luck. tough. Yeah, so, yeah, not being owned at all. He, uh, yeah, it was strange. You know, you wouldn't expect this to be a place really, really had a lot of success. But, um, but yeah, he's done pretty well here. He, he wasn't good at Genesis. Uh, definitely a pivot play I, I can see um, being – you know, working out. You got to be a little bit different in some ways. And I think, you know, is is does Lanto Griffin is 14 percent <laughs> owned and Merritt is two or three. So does he have a six, you know, times better chance of, of finishing higher than Merritt does? I don't think so. Well, that, that, was, that was the thing is I, I listened back to my podcast from last year on on the betting show for this, and I was so high on Lanto Griffin. Like, I loved his chances, and 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 I subscribed to the same thought again. I, I do think he's got a good chance, but. When the ownership is that high, like he let me down a little bit at Genesis. He wasn't great, tied 39th. Um, he played well. He recovered from a, a, a pretty disappointing start. But, um, you know, I, I like Lucas Clever at 7 2. I like uh, Troy Merritt at 7 1. So maybe just go either side of him. Um, the other guy at 7K flat, I suppose, that you've got to kind of talk about without, um, you know, too long. Martin Laird is going to be probably pretty popular. Laird is yeah seven eight nine percent uh kind of high but um nothing nothing crazy you get Tagala there six seven percent as well Munoz is going to be higher than all of them but 
Um, I don't think he's too high to play, Laird. He's been playing great. 6K, we'll go through these fairly quickly. Um, there's not a lot of trust down here, obviously, uh, being a, a tougher event. You've already mentioned Andrew Putnam. I think he's he's one of the safer guys. Uh, Carlos Ortiz will get his, his love. Um, I kind of like the the Svensson lit down last week. I think that people were burnt by him so much that they might be a bit scared to play him, think he's going to you know, crash out, which I don't really care. If he, you know, if he he's in contention again and, and crashes out and finishes top 10, then I, I'm pretty delighted with that 6,700. Yeah, I think you're going to be uh, disappointed by this, but a lot of people are playing him. Uh, okay, it's, so it's, um, same thing as everyone then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's... You know, I kind of have an exact same thought process, but it's on the guy right above him at 6,800 and Nikolai Hogard. Um, literally nobody is playing him. Nobody. It's going to be around 0% because of how horrible he was last week and the fact that he was popular last week and he burned everybody and he was, you know, he was terrible. But this is a guy, you know, Europeans have had a lot of success here and he's one of the better players in the European uh, DP World Tour and he's just been great there. And I think you really want to go to a high upside bounce back spot. He might be the guy. I can't remember if I said it on this show as much, but I was very passionate about the fact that people needed to forgive Nikolai Hoygaard. I said it in advance of the Honda Classics. I said it, is, it could not be a worse course fee. He had to play there because it's a sponsor's invite. He needs to take advantage of these starts. But he was surrounded by water, wind, tight, uh, just just not you know his game at all. I'm still not entirely sure he performs in the same way the other Europeans that have come over here will do. But... Um, you know, we've seen people in the past, not even just like you know the, the roses and etc. You know, we've seen Rafa Cabrera, but we've seen people like that. So um, it's interesting. I also like Dylan Fratelli at 6800. I know I keep mentioning his name, but um, I think there's some upside with him as well. Oh, always upside with him. You've talked about that before, and I actually thought of you because I forget what, what week it was. But you were kind of saying he's a boomer bust play, and then I think at the end of day one he was like in second place or something. It might have been Phoenix, yeah. but um, and then he kind of disappeared. Yeah, he he's boomer bust, no doubt about it. He's definitely not one of the safer plays, but he's a guy who you could see in the you know in the last group on Sunday and not be overly surprised about it. So yeah, high upside play. It's it's the thing with with Dylan Fratelli. I think I think Andy sort of said when I spoke to him um, last night on the show is that when you look, he he could genuinely have a career that that sees him win major championships or uh, a WGC or something because when you look at all his best performances. Uh, he was fifth at the Masters in 2020, fifth at the Open Championship in 2021. Uh, I think he played pretty well at the Players, 22nd last year, I think it was. Um, and, you know, he, he just seems to be one of those kind of like big game guys. And he got to the last 16 of the match play last year as well. Um, maybe it's a, a bit of a motivation thing with him. I, I, you know, when I, when I talk about, like, Christian Bezuid now is a, is, a, is a safer option. Of course, like there's no denying it whatsoever. But if I think about players that I believe can win on the PGA Tour, I actually believe that Dylan Fratelli has the perfect skill set with his long driving, and, and I think he's he's done what he needs to do to your game to because he realizes that he realizes that he couldn't do it in the way that he was doing on the DP World Tour before. He needs to go and get that distance, chase it, um, and let the other bits of his game come back. Once he's uh, you know, if he flashes all of his departments in one week, then he's he's probably going to contend. Yeah, I, th- I I agree with everything you said. Definitely a better chance to win than guys like you know, um, than Cebes and, and that. And yeah, I'm with you. I think it's uh, definitely a boomer bust play. I'm I'm probably not there this week. I just don't know how I feel about him completely, but I uh, totally get it. 
Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you this one guy who is my favorite play in this range, and I'm not alone on that, but it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Danny Willett at 6,400. Yeah. Uh, uh, he just, it's just, he's so cheap, and he has such a high upside, and he was good last week. He gained 5.6 strokes from tee to green. He lost he's bad point, putting, right? Yeah, he lost 4.4 putting. Yeah. Um, but he's shown in the past he can putt on firm and fast greens, obviously, as a, as a winner at Augusta. And, yeah. Um, I, I like him a lot, and the, the win equity that he has, and I just think, look at the guys who have won here, Hat and Molinari, like these guys who play very similar to the way he plays. Yeah, I I, th- I never have to be convinced on Danny Willett. Like he won me a hundred to one uh, at Dunhill Links. He's he's had two, three top thirty one finishes here, uh, you know, and, and missed a couple of cuts or withdrawn. But um, the other guy I like the look of, Sam Ryder, has finished thirty third on this golf course. And sneakily is in a decent bit of form, and we know that kind of like Florida is, is kind of his jam. And, and 23rd, 26th, and 9th his last three starts. Um, I, I thought that was quite a lot of good flashes there. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I I actually had him start, and I didn't. He he popped for me in a couple of different stats. I wrote in my um, my stat preview for for Action Network. He uh yeah i think he makes some sense and i like the fact that he's actually shown something here um what price was he i'm trying to scroll look for him here. he is 6700 6700 um yeah looking like around four percent which is a little bit high for this range but uh i think i'm definitely going to play some of him him and Willett is where i'm like it's, it's different different prospects right like you're playing Willett in the hope that he his winning upside comes through and uh you know that there's not a whole bunch of safety with him whereas i think Sam Ryder is one of those guys that I could trust to get through the cut and and fill up a, a lineup. It's it's a completely different way of playing six K guys. Yeah, yeah, and you know what's weird? I'm looking at right next to Willett is Matt Wallace, and they're like the same ownership right yeah. now, and the same price. And Willett is great, and Wallace stinks. Yeah, Wallace is. <laughs> I am I am more than off Matt Wallace. Um, I know that he's got good course history here, um, and that's going to keep people on. But yeah, it's not for me. It'd be interesting to see. Um, what the kind of the, the the two Australians do here? You know, you've got Minwoo Lee and, and Lucas Herbert. It'd be interesting to see whether either of those guys to come through. Um, I know neither of them are doing what people hope they would uh, currently, but you know, there, there's definitely some upside with both of those. Yeah, those are the guys who are, I think are you know boomer bust upside historic. I mean, historically they they fit the profile of the guys you would like when they are doing what they're supposed to be doing, which they haven't. Yeah, and I'd rather play them than some of these other guys around here, but. The ultimate course history test here is Henrik Stenson. He, <laughs> he's missed 12 of his last 15 cuts. Um, I will say this. His last, when he started at the Honda, he gained 1.4 off the tee. That's the first time he's gained off the tee in 13 events. And he only lost 0.1 strokes on approach. So maybe showing a little something. Uh, final round 65 at the Abu Dhabi Championship is probably the, the, the only sort of highlight in, in recent months. He had a really good run uh, towards the end of the last season on, at the DP World Tour. Uh, and, and I kind of felt like he was, I don't want to say back, because he's a, he's a major winner and, and you know a FedEx Cup winner. So I never want to say that he was back to what he does, but... He was he was striping the ball and and that's something that you know we've been accustomed to in the past and you know that's the whole foundation of his game right I, I just it seems like that was a, a bit of a false dawn that he had on the DP World Tour and I, I'm a bit worried it, it, again it is just literally 
huge upside. Like him and, and Danny Willett are both huge upside. I trust Danny Willett slightly more, um, which which I imagine is reflected in the ownership. But um, yeah, I, I think I don't want to be trying to play too many of those in, in any of the lineups, really. No, no, no. I'm with you. Um, I just, it's just really sad. I I love Henrik. He's one of my favorite golfers of all time. And just to see, I mean, he shouldn't be this bad yet. And it's kind of disappointing. I'm, I'm hoping he comes back. I guess there'll be more just a rooting for him and not play him type thing for me. Um, and then I, any thoughts on Brandon Grace down here? Yeah, I've kind of given up on Brandon Grace. Like, I think it's happened for him. I think he's done what he's going to do in the game. Uh, I know he had that win last year right it's, it's, it's not Puerto Rico, yeah. at all um you know uh, he's now back in the right event compared to where he was last year is, is one thing you could say um it, it just feels like he's cheap for a reason I'd, I'd actually rather just take the upside of of Henrik Stenson because just not thinking about it like he was 17th Stenson in the Saudi Arabia he opened with 66 closed with 67 so there's probably enough there to, to make me think that actually we can we can try and get because he, he should have won at this golf course like there's there's no two ways about it he had some really good chances lost him out every once um you know so to me i i think that's a guy i really can see winning i could also see danny willett doing something uh, i can't see brandon grace doing anything fair enough i'm with you um that's about it. I don't really have any guys at six one, six two that I have any really faith in, unless you do at all. Nope, nope, no. I think they're uh, correctly priced. So let's let's sort of recap then. Um, I think we're both kind of keen on Victor Hovland as our our top player above the ten k range. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. I mean, one hundred percent. That's just that's definitely the play this week for me. Nine uh, k for you. I know it's only a short range this week. Uh, nine. I'm going to go Fitz. I am going to take Tyrrell uh, in, in a, going against my gut. Uh, 8K for me. Um, Paul Casey, 8,300. Yep, we're, uh, we're aligned on that one. Paul Casey is my favorite bet and play in DFS this week. 7K range, bit of a bit of a tougher examination this week, but I think there's some interesting people down here. Uh, Keegan Bradley, 7,300 for me. I am gonna go. The easy one, the easy answer would be Sebastian Munoz, but I've actually talked myself into Troy Merritt being a good play at seventy-one hundred. And then finally, anyone in the six K range that you think we can kind of pin our hopes to? Uh, Will it? I love Will it. I am gonna go. See, it, it was Svensson because I thought that he was going to be slightly lower owned, and, and that's kind of put me off. I will take the chance on Dylan Fratelli. I think that he's got some upside, and we're talking about upside a lot in this 6K range, and, and I like it. So that summarizes my thoughts on Bay Hill this week. Any any extra notes for you, Matt? No, no, those are my thoughts. Um, you know, betting card, I got uh, Hovland, Fitz, Casey, and Danny Willett, and, and Keaton. Yep. I'm happy with that. Um, I feel a good week coming, and I think these shows have been really good, and uh, I've enjoyed them a lot, so thanks for that. Yeah, no, definitely I am too. Um, the feedback is, you know, we, we'd love some more feedback. I think is one of the things that we, we've probably said between ourselves uh, privately, Matt, isn't it, that we, we would love to hear more. I think that the, the listener count's great uh, for us. The, the the interactions we've had have, have been positive, so we've never had anything negative. But uh, if you are out there and listening to it and enjoying it, please do let us know. Um, one last note I would say is there is potentially a draw bias uh, creeping in, uh, that there's due to be some weather uh, Friday afternoon. So if 
if that is the case and it does get some windy, you might want to get some of the later starts on Thursday, other starts on Friday, um, if you wanted to do that kind of wave stack. But that's not something I particularly dive too much into, Matt, because I think it can change uh, so quickly. Yeah, I guess the only thing I'd say about that is um, if it seems to be shaping up that way, then I wouldn't make huge decisions based off it, but I think it's a good tiebreaker. Yeah, no, that's probably the best way to, that's the one to do is, is if there is someone you're not sure on, then uh, play that uh, narrative there. Matt, thank you very much, buddy, and we will catch up for a big week next week. All right, thanks. Talk to you later.